Church, as you're able, if you would stand with me for our scripture reading, it would be from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, back when we looked at Psalm 1, I made a terrible mistake. And I thought I could get through it in three weeks. So I've corrected that mistake and I've put no time frame on Psalm 2. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, But I want us to talk tonight about, and we're going to talk about this for a couple of weeks, how to become a servant of the Lord. And and that question I think is very important because becoming a servant of the Lord is something we become. We're not just born a servant of the Lord, we have to become one. And we ended uh, Psalm 1 by talking about authority and the question of who is in authority over your life? Who is that? And so I want us to go to Psalm 2, verse 1, and I'm really going to focus on the first five words, but I want to make a point here. Psalm 2, verse 1 begins, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. Notice that there are two things that are vanity or useless there. One is rage, and two are the people's plotting. Both of those, David says, are useless, useless. And one of the things we have to understand is that if you wanna be a servant of the Lord, you have to learn to control your anger. You have to learn how to control your anger. Rage is just anger that's out of control. That's all it is. It's just uncontrolled anger. And so when he says, why do the nations rage? This great psalm that is about the Messiah, it is about ultimately the Lord's anointed one, the true son. And and, and as we go through this, we're going to see that more and more. But it starts with this first question about the nations, the Gentile pagan nations raging against God, which is the opposite of serving God. And he says that anger and the people's plotting, which we'll get to next week, are both useless. But the problem is, is that when it comes to anger, it can become a way of life for us. We can become consumed by our own anger. And the thing we have to realize is that when we give in to anger, when when we uh, give in to rage, we let our anger get out of control, we are actually participating with, 
participating with and perpetuating the spirit of antichrist that's already in the world. And many times we don't think about our anger that way. But when we are in that place of living out of anger or living out of rage, uncontrolled anger, we're actually participating with the spirits and principalities of the world we live in. That'll make you think differently about getting angry. But whenever we do, again, we're just in lockstep with what's going on in the world around us. And again, all the antichrist spirits that are already there. Now, let me give you a few facts about anger. Um, and I'm going to give you nine truths from the Bible, but uh, I did a little research and, um, uh, you know, th- different research reveals different things. So one, one place said that the average woman, <laughs> this is going to be dangerous, the average woman loses her temper three times a week. The average man, six times a week. But then I read another study that says that actually both men and women lose their temper equally throughout the week. I'll let you be the judge of which one's right. One study said that women get angry at people, but men, they get angry and lose it over things. One study said that women are more vulnerable or honest about their feelings of anger, but both men and women get uh, angrier at home than we do in public or with strangers. One interesting note was that one doctor said, one psychologist said that he identified over 50 illnesses, over 50 illnesses that are caused by anger. If that is true, that means anger can literally kill you, literally kill you. Now the Bible says a whole lot about anger. And so I I can't say everything in one sermon about what uh, the Bible says about anger, but I've boiled it down to a total of 14 points for you. So I'm going to give you nine to begin with, okay? So we're going to start with nine uh, truths about anger. And if you want to write these down, you can. They'll appear on the screen with the scriptures. The first one is that not all anger is bad. And not all anger is unhealthy. Uh, We we have to realize that. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Which means that you can actually get angry without sinning. God even gets angry. There is such thing as a righteous anger, a holy anger. Uh, We need to be angry at some things. We need to be angry at injustice. We need to be angry when when certain people harm other people. We need to be angry at the taking of innocent life. There are some things that we need to have a righteous and holy anger about. So it's not all bad in that sense. It is a God-given emotion that we have. We just have to learn to use it properly. Yes? Good. Just want to make sure you're with me. Number two is that unhealthy anger has really been a problem from the beginning. And the kind of unhealthy anger that I'm talking about is is the unhealthy anger that we choose. And it is a choice. But this, this kind of anger that's unhealthy, that does harm both to us and to others, has been around from the very beginning. And the Bible wanted to make that very clear to us. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, you see the story of Cain and Abel. And in verse 8, it, telling the story, it says that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And what we see in that story is that Cain's jealousy led to him being angry and his anger turned into rage and his rage turned into the first murder in history, or at least in the Bible. And so anger's been around for a very, very long time. There's there's nobody going around right now saying, you know, well, modern science has discovered that anger is a problem now. No, no, no. We've known this for a very, very long time. 
And you, you don't have to get, you know, one page into the Bible and you see that there are anger issues going on and then that strand runs all the way through. So unhealthy anger has been a problem from the beginning. Number three is that nothing good ever comes from uncontrolled anger. While sometimes, yeah, it's true that anger uh, is not all bad, but nothing good ever comes from anger that's uncontrolled or out of control, or as Psalm 2.1 puts it, this place of rage. Proverbs 29.22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Now that word transgression is very important. We all know what sin is, right? Sin is when we miss the mark. It's an archery term, you know that probably. It's where you're aiming for the target, the very center of the target, and you miss the target. It, it literally means to fall short of the target, right? We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. You know that from Romans. So sin means to miss the target, target to fall short of the target. Transgression is something else. And so when it says here, one given to anger causes much transgression. It's talking about when anger is your way of life, you are going to transgress, meaning you are going to go beyond the God-given boundaries in life. To transgress means to go beyond what God has set. So many times when you look around, we kind of put everything in the bucket of sin, but it's not sin. There's actually three terms that are used in the Bible. It's sin, transgression, and iniquity right? And so many times when we look around and you see people going beyond what God has set, the boundaries that God has set for our safety, when you go beyond those, that is a transgression. And what scripture tells us here in Proverbs 29, that when you are given over to anger, when anger has become your way of life, transgression is going to be constant, constant in your life. Now, we also see that there are these natural consequences. Proverbs 30, 33, this is such an interesting verse. It says, for pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, if you press hard enough, and pressing anger produces strife. Pressing anger produces strife. And this word strife here is talking about this constant contention in your life. You, you see, you can never be content when you live in this place of contention. And some people wonder why they find no peace in their life, because they're constantly fighting with everyone around them, constantly pushing other people's buttons and doing it on purpose. But many times we do that out of our own anger. That's why Proverbs 14, 29 says, anger causes mistakes. And I like that verse. The word mistakes there, it, it can be translated foolish mistakes. It calls us to make foolish decisions, make foolish mistakes, because when we get angry, we do not think clearly. Have you ever been there? You've been so mad you can't even think rationally? I have. I have. And we all probably have. And what we have to understand is that nothing good can ever come from uncontrolled, unhealthy anger. Number four is that anger makes you vulnerable to spiritual attacks and relational problems. A lot of times we get mad because we want to take control of a situation or we want to get control of something. We feel like if we get mad enough and we get loud enough, then we can get control and it actually does the opposite. Proverbs 25, 28 says, if you cannot control your anger, 
You are as helpless as a city without walls, open to attack. Open to attack. Anger is not going to help you get control at all. Anger not only causes problems, though, it compounds problems. And again, a lot of times we just think, if I get angry enough, loud enough, then I can get everything back the way it should be, and it never works that way. It never works that way. It always makes you more vulnerable to spiritual attacks. And I put these two together, spiritual attacks and relational problems, because spiritual warfare never feels spiritual. It always feels personal, right? It always feels personal. And that's why these two go together. But if you cannot control your anger, Proverbs 25 says, you are actually helpless. You're like a city that cannot defend itself. Number five is that anger, and this one's harsh, anger brings judgment. And this one comes from the Gospels. Matthew 5.22 says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, go back to that first sentence there. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The kind of anger that we see here in this verse with his brother, talking about a spiritual brother, is the kind of anger that is no longer open to healing. You get so mad at someone, you've literally cut them off. And when we get to that place where the door of reconciliation is no longer open, which we're going to be talking about uh, over the next few weeks uh, in different ways on Sunday morning, but when you get to that place where you're no longer open to healing with your brother or your sister, and again, that's spiritual brother, spiritual sister, when you get to that place, and Jesus says, you're in a very bad spot because you're putting yourself in the pathway of judgment. See, sometimes we have no peace in our life because we let our anger run our feelings. Sometimes we have no peace because we just let rage control things. And it's not just no peace in general, it's specific. We have no peace in our earthly relationships, but then we have no peace about our future. We have no peace about our eternal future, all because of anger. And we can get to that place where we actually start feeding off our anger. It's like an adrenaline rush. And we just need to feel it every now and then. And we get to that place where we just need to feed off our anger. Our anger becomes our functional God. And that's when we start closing the doors to healing in relationships that are broken. And that's why it brings judgment. Because again, at that point, anger is our functional God. Is this making sense? Three of y'all, great. Number six is that anger can keep you or keeps you out of God's will. Anger can actually keep you out of God's will for your life. James 1.20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And notice that phrase, the anger of man. The anger of the, the spirit of man, the spirit of this world. It can never actually produce the righteousness of God. It cannot do it. You see, many times we feel like we have a just cause. And so we feel like we have a just cause so we can allow ourselves to get angry. But even with a just cause that's rooted in human anger, it will not produce godly outcomes. It never will. 
Never will. Because a fallen source cannot produce upright justice. If you think about it. That whole tree bearing fruit thing, you know a tree by its fruits? That applies here. And so we have to figure out that if anger can keep us from God's will, we have to decide who's going to lead our life. Who are we going to serve? Everybody's going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. You're serving somebody right now. You're going to serve someone or something. Someone is going to have say over you. It may be you, it may be something else or someone else. So who's going to lead your life? And are you going, if you're going to go the route of anger, that means your fallen feelings lead your life. And whenever you feel the feeling of anger, you just give into it, you erupt or you shut down however it is you deal with your anger, or you let the Holy Spirit lead your life, which means you will see his fruit in your life. But anger will keep you out of God's will. Number seven is that anger... The Bible tells us that anger must be dealt with before it destroys you. I must deal with my anger or it will destroy me. You have to deal with your anger or it will destroy you. If we go back to the Psalms in Psalm 4-4, just two Psalms away, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Right there, David's calling us to honestly think about, be very honest with yourself and think about your anger issues, what makes you angry, what pushes your buttons. One psychologist said that it's easier to feel anger than hurt. You may have heard that before. So a lot of times, instead of letting ourselves admit that we're actually hurt, it just turns into anger because that's a little more easier and we have a target we can go after. But Ephesians 4.26, I've already quoted this, but I don't read the whole verse. It says, be angry and do not sin, or in your anger do not sin. The rest of that verse says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So whenever I say anger must be dealt with before it destroys you, a lot of times the question is, well, when do I deal with my anger? You know, can I, when do I need to do that? The Bible says over and over, today. You need to deal with it today. Because if you don't deal with it today, then today will never come. You'll keep putting it off because it's addictive. Anger can be addictive. And again, we start feeding off of it. And so Psalm 4.4, Ephesians 4.26, which is quoting Psalm 4, says deal with your anger today. And you say, why do I need to do that? It's because of number eight. And that is that anger is a disease of the heart. A lot of times whenever we talk about anger, we just think of it in terms of, uh, well, it's my personality or it's my genetics, right? This is just kind of who I am. You know, no Christian ever gets to say this is just who I am. You do know that, right? Because who you are in Christ means you have the resurrected power of the Son of God in you. Yes? So you can't just chalk it up to this is who I am. But anger, we have to understand, is a disease, It's a disease that slowly creeps in and continues to take over. That's why Ecclesiastes 7.9 says this. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Notice this next phrase. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. Notice the word lodges. Anger embeds itself in our heart. What does the heart do? The heart pumps blood through our body. 
Anger can get lodged in our heart and the image is, and then it is pumped through all of who we are is perpetuated through who we are. All of a sudden, now every aspect of our life is saturated in anger. So all we see is anger. All we say is anger. All we think is anger. It shades everything. That's what a disease does. It starts small and then slowly takes over. And again, the image here is that anger can get lodged in our heart. It gets embedded in our heart. And then the more it's there, the the longer we let it stay there, the more it just permeates our heart whole being. It's a disease. And so number nine, we must take responsibility for our anger. You and I have to come to a place where we take responsibility and we say, you know, I'm not going to participate with the pagan nations around me. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live in a different kingdom. I'm going to represent a different kingdom. And that means I've got to live a different way. I've got to live a different way. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He says, let it happen. Notice that language. Let it happen. Let the Lord who's working in you, Christians, he's talking to Christians, let let that happen. Let it be put away from you. Paul's saying to them, you do not have to walk around angry anymore. Because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. So, when it comes to anger, again, it's not all bad. It's been around from the beginning. Nothing good ever comes from uncontrolled anger. It makes us more vulnerable. It brings us under judgment. It keeps you out of God's will. It must be dealt with before it's destroyed because it is a disease and we have to take responsibility for it. The question is, you may say, Chris, that's great. How do I do that? I'm so glad you asked. I want to give you five ways that you can kill your anger. Five ways. Number one is that you kill your anger with humility. You start by killing your anger with humility. You say, well, how do I do that? James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The kind of anger that James is talking about there is that impulsive anger that produces wrath and rage in us. We have to have a different way of approaching life that involves being quick to hear, slow to speak, and therefore we will be slow to anger. One psychologist said that anger comes from overblown, uh, an overblown view of your own self-importance. Anger comes from an overblown view of your own self-importance. I think that's what James is getting at here. See, because when you are just thinking about you and your self-importance, two things happen. Number one, you don't listen. Number two, you always talk. So James says, let's do the opposite. Let's be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now you may say, well, Chris, well, how much humility do I need? How much do I really need? How much do I really need to work on this? I've I've phrased this so you'll remember it. I promise you, you'll remember it. If you you wonder how how humble do I have to be to be killing the anger inside of me, you have to be humble enough to shut up. Told you you remember it. We don't even say that in my house. 
But hang with me. You have to be humble enough to shut up. To think a little bit less of yourself. To listen to people. To speak slowly. So that you don't stir up the anger inside of you with your own words. You're just letting it die. Number two. Kill your anger by trusting in the Lord. A lot of unresolved anger that we have toward people is because we don't think that they're going to get properly punished for how they hurt us, for being honest. So we stay angry at them because we want them to be punished. We think that maybe our anger will punish them when it doesn't, it only hurts us. And that's where we got to come to that place where we trust the Lord. A verse that I think everybody needs to read, write down. If if you're into tattoos, get this one tattooed. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You got to trust the Lord with it. Instead of letting your anger live inside of you towards someone else because you want them punished you want justice in some way you got to trust the Lord with that you know when we were going through our disaffiliation process there were a lot of people outside of Fraser who said a whole lot of things don't know if you know that or not some of them your friends right there were a lot of people who were not inside of Frazier who had a view or a version of that. And then there were just other people who said stuff. And some people were mad that we were leaving. Some people were mad uh, that we were going free Methodist or whatever it may be. And, you know, and, and when I hear all that and I live with all that still to this day, I just kind of chuckle and just say, you know, one day God will straighten that narrative out. I just don't worry about it. Because God said, vengeance is mine. Same thing with us personally. When we've been personally hurt, don't hang on to anger because you think it's going to punish somebody. You've got to trust the Lord. He will take care of that. He says it right there. So we kill our anger with humility and we kill our anger by trusting the Lord. Another way to put that is you've got to trust by looking up. By looking up. First you've got to shut up. Then you've got to look up. You see my pattern here? All right. Number three. Number three is we kill our anger by planning our response. You got to plan your response. When you choose how you respond on the front end, it gives you the opportunity to have a Christ-like response instead of a response that's driven by your emotions. And, and, and again, this is sometimes we just say, oh, it's my personality. That... No, no, no. Think through it. Think about it. When this happens, I will do this. When this happens, listen, when you went home for, uh, or wherever, got with your family for Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know you got that relative who's going to push your buttons, right? Right? You, you know that there's potential, maybe for a situation or whatever, there could be an issue or whatever going on in your family. And that's where we have to plan our response on when this happens, I'm going to choose to respond in a very different way. I'm going to choose to respond instead of out of emotion, I'm going to respond in a way that honors Christ. Psalm 37 verse 8 says, stop being angry 
Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Because unplanned responses, unplanned responses will only lead to harm and more harm. But when you stop, turn, and do not lose, it means you've got a plan. You've thought through how you're going to respond when you know you're going to get angry. You do know that you will get angry in life. There are things that make you upset. There are people who make you upset. And you just have to think through how you're going to respond to them. That's why Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. How do you stay calm when you're insulted? You have a plan. You have a plan. You plan for it. So the first thing we have to do is we have to shut up. Then we have to look up. And then we have to think up a plan. You with me? Y'all are quiet. All right. The fourth thing, if you're going to kill your anger, you have to control your mouth. Control your mouth. James 3, 2 and following says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses uh, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, and it says uh, that it is set, setting on fire the entire course of life. Notice that phrase, setting on fire the entire course of life. You see, what you choose to say, James says, what you choose to say and to not say will set the entire course of life either on fire or not. That's pretty powerful. Proverbs 13, 16 says, sensible people always think before they act. And Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to anger, but a wise person quietly holds it back. I love that phrase, holds it back. It literally means to be still. Wise people, wise people know when to be still, when to not open their mouth, control their tongue. But that takes wisdom. It starts with, you got to shut up, you got to look up, you got to think up, but then we have to wise up. We have to see God's wisdom in controlling our anger and in killing our anger. Number five, the last one, is projection. Projection. So many times we project our feelings on other people around us, don't we? And if you're feeding off of anger, if you're feeding off of anger, you're looking for anger in other people. You ever been around someone doing this? Have you ever done this? If, you're, if you are feeding off of anger, you're looking around, you're saying, I'm angry about whatever it is. Surely you're angry too. You're just looking for other people. You're projecting your anger out there to see if it sticks anywhere. But 1 Timothy 2.8 gives us a very different picture of the body of Christ and what should be happening. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Paul says, I desire then that in every place, every place where the church is, 
men and women should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. This should be our desire as people who are part of the body of Christ. That in every place, no matter where we are, that prayer is taking place. Instead of pointing fingers, we're lifting our hands and we're doing it without anger and without quarreling. That is the exact opposite of Psalm 2 1. It's the exact opposite. The nations and the spirit of Antichrist that's in the nations rages and points their finger at God. But the people of God have a very different posture. It is a posture of prayer, it is a posture of lifting up hands without anger. So we have to shut up, we have to look up, we have to think up a plan. We have to wise up, and then we have to lift up. We have to spend more time lifting our hands in prayer to God than doing those things that fuel our anger. Now, what I know about you and what I know about me is that both of us have great potential regardless of our personality. That, our personality just tells us how we're going uh, to handle the anger, what it's going to look like when it manifests itself. But both of us have great potential to let anger ruin our lives. And again, we got a choice. We started Psalm 1 with this. There's always two choices. You can participate with the nations that rage, or you can go about it the Lord's way. If you want to be a servant of the Lord, you have to kill your anger. You have to kill it. And here's the thing. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. So I want us to pray. And we're going to sing a song. I think we're going to sing Build My Life. No? All right. We're going to change the song. And uh, so whatever they're going to sing. But uh, I, I want us to pray. And I want us to pray that the Lord will help us take responsibility for our anger. Let's not deny it. We have a sin nature. It's fallen. It's there. And it all looks different in all of us in many ways, but it's there. It's universal. But say, Lord, help me take responsibility for this. And then, Lord, teach me to kill it so it does not run my life. And I'm free then to serve you. Can we do that? Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you. Thank you that you do not leave us as we are. Thank you that you love doing deep work in our hearts. And Lord, we sit here tonight and we know that the nations of this world rage against you and your anointed one. It is evident everywhere. And we say we do not want to participate in that. We do not want to participate in the antichrist spirit of this age. We want to do it differently. We want to live our lives as a servant. But Lord, to do that, we have to take responsibility for our anger. So Lord, would you help me? Would you help each one of us? Bring our anger under the resurrection power of Christ. 
that we may live differently than the world around us. That we may shine brightly in a world where darkness is just increasing. Lord, help us do this for our friends and family, our children and grandchildren. Help us do this for mutual encouragement that we may come to places like this at times like this and lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and quarreling because we are different. Help us take responsibility for that tonight. That we may live differently tomorrow. Would you do that in us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.